to be honest, transform the whole medical record system to make it in a useful fashion. And as an example of this, when they measure your heart rate in a doctor's office right now, it's all over the map. And it depends on whether you drove there, bike there, what stress yeah. is going on, all sorts of things. But you can actually pull a pretty accurate heart rate right off first thing in the morning from someone and get a much, much better picture of their health. And imagine incorporating that kind of information into a health record for a physician to be able to see in a, what's called a longitudinal fashion so they can really follow what's going on. And so that's how I'd like to see it change. Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Dr. Michael Snyder from Stanford University and Grace Kitzmiller from Amazon Web Services. And Dr. Snyder and Grace, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Patty. Excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we start with some introductions. Uh, Dr. Snyder, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about your role at uh, Stanford? Yes, I'm Professor and Chair of Genetics. I also run the Center for Genomics and Personalized Medicine Innovation Lab there, and we do a lot with big data and health. Excellent. Grace? Thanks, Patty. I lead solutions development for the AWS Disaster Response Program, which focuses on how technology and the cloud can assist organizations that are active across crises, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, or across the life cycle of natural disasters. Excellent. Thank you for those introductions. So let me start with this. Amazon's recently been in the news for a number of healthcare-related initiatives, and one of them was the Diagnostic Development Initiative it was targeting COVID-19 in particular. So Grace, uh, I guess uh, my first question would be, what was the gap or need that AWS was looking to address with this initiative? Well, first I'll start with maybe just a brief description of the Diagnostic Development Initiative and then talk a little bit about the gap. So the AWS Diagnostic Development Initiative was a, or is a $20 million commitment that we made last year to support customers and accelerate their diagnostic innovations. And we provided this support in the form of both cloud computing credits and technical support from AWS experts like our solution architects and our AWS professional services team. And these AWS experts helped those organizations that were part of the Diagnostic Development Initiative to use AWS services to either stand up or scale their COVID-19 diagnostics projects. So why did we see diagnostics as a gap? Well, as COVID began rapidly spreading around the world, there were a few reasons diagnostics really bubbled up to the top. First, accurate detection is the tip of the spear for really any effective pandemic response strategy. And then second, diagnostics research has historically been underfunded and largely deprioritized when compared to, say, vaccine or treatment development. But realistically, and thirdly, organizations working on diagnostics actually also need access to reliable and scalable compute power. 
which AWS could deliver along with things like analytics and machine learning to help researchers process and analyze some of those large data sets that were being generated and iterate more quickly. So in the first year of the program, we've been really excited and seen some inspirational results from customers like the wearables work that Dr. Snyder's research team is doing at Stanford. And it's really been great to see how these projects are pushing the boundaries of diagnostic innovation. Yeah, yeah that's great background. And uh, I think that uh, you explained that very well in terms of the, of the need for a service like this. And it's great that Amazon's committing all these resources for this uh, program. So Dr. Snyder, Stanford has been one of the early participants in the program, and uh, you've launched a smartwatch-based diagnostic app for the COVID alerts. Can you tell us a little bit about the app and uh, some of the results that you've seen so far? Sure. Well, just prior to the pandemic, well, actually several years before, we found that you could tell when people are getting ill, both from Lyme disease, believe it or not, as well as respiratory viral infections using a smartwatch. And it was quite surprising at the time. And We'd been improving it somewhat, but then, as you might imagine, when the pandemic came along a little over a year ago, with Amazon's help, we've really been able to scale this thing up. So we first showed that we could actually detect COVID with a smartwatch. It turns out, on average, four days before symptoms, and for some people, as much as 10 days before symptoms, we can see when they're getting ill because their heart rate jumps up on a smartwatch. So we first showed that you could do that, and more recently, we've rolled out basically this app that alerts people when their heart rate jumps up, which it does happen before you get ill with COVID or other things, can happen with other lifestyle events as well. For example, if you drink way too much, you can also raise your heart rate, but but it certainly seems to work for infectious disease about 73% of the time, according to our latest work. So basically, it's a simple app that you download on your smartphone you have a smartwatch. It works for Fitbit. It works for Apple Watch. And we think it'll work for other watches as well. We're bringing them in. And basically what they do, they essentially, they're following your heart rate. They'll transfer the information over to the phone. We use the cloud to be able to pull in the information. And then we actually compute using our algorithm when you we see a jump up in heart rate or other abnormalities. It'll send off a signal, which it pushes back to your smartphone and it'll set off these alerts. So right now we've just launched the second phase of the study where we are sending off the alerts. We're getting back people's comments. As I say, it's sometimes due to infections. And once again, COVID, it does pick up COVID infections. Even we've just found out that it can pick up asymptomatic cases. So we think this is gonna be very, very powerful. It absolutely requires the cloud for this work because you need to be able to access people all around the world. Actually, the study is global and you can compute everywhere and you can keep the cost down actually by running some of the computes areas that are less busy and then distribute the load, so to speak, in, in a more cost-effective fashion. So it's really turned out, to, in fact, it's probably the only way you could do a project like this is to use the cloud. And it's totally scalable. There's 50 million people in the U.S. who wear a smartwatch. Right now, they could all have an alerting function for COVID-19 if they actually tune into this program. Yeah. If I can uh, double-click on that just a little bit, uh, what I heard you say was that this is a, as a global program, so I imagine that your application has been downloaded globally by uh, people on their smartwatches, whatever they're using, Apple or uh, Fitbit. And you also mentioned something about uh, the fact that elevated heart rate could be a result of, you know, various 
potential activities and not necessarily just COVID. And I imagine that the algorithm in some way adjusts uh, for the different likely causes and then combines it with other kinds of variables and so on. And we don't need to drill into the algorithm, but I'd be curious to know, firstly, what has been the predictive power of these algorithms? And, and secondly, how do they hold up across populations or across regions? Yeah, well, we're going to need more data to be able to know how to answer the last question, which we're getting, because the numbers are still small. And that's why we want to have more people join the study, meaning we have so far, we just launched this new phase of the study. We've had several thousand people sign up, so that's great. And I think we've had something like uh, 70 positive cases so far. And as I say, we picked up 73 of them or 73% of them. So uh, we is it's from different parts of the country. So we're still improving the algorithms. We want to get that 73%, to be honest, up to 95% or better, which I think we can do as we pull in more different data types. We're mostly focused on resting heart rate, steps, and sleep. I know if we pull in different kinds of data, we can improve the algorithms. And that's why we're trying to get as many people signed up as possible. We do know it does pick up people from different ethnic groups. We can We can detect COVID from different ethnic groups. We don't yet know what the efficiency is. I'm optimistic it should work for everyone because when people get sick, their heart rate jumps up. So we just have to tune the algorithms. And that's why we want more people to sign up. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. What's your ideal end state here? If you do get, I don't know, a million people signed up, let's say, uh, and I hope you do because it sounds like a really, really important app. What's the end goal here? My end goal is to put a smartwatch on everyone on the planet, 7 billion people, so they have a health monitor for every single person. <laughs> that's that, my goal. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen today, uh, but that, that's the long run. What You don't have any cars running around without a dashboard, yet you have every person on the planet pretty near running around without a dashboard, and I want to change that. And right. I think the only way to do it is to be following their health in real time, uh, not doing PCR like two days later when they get symptoms. That's too late. You want to actually be uh, following people while they're healthy in real time, seeing when you see and uh, detect an abnormality and catch and push it back to them as quickly as possible so they can act on it. In the case of pandemic, you want them to actually ultimately, if they get one of these alerts and we want it to um, be as sensitive as possible and, and as specific as possible, we want them to ultimately self-isolate or go get checked uh, right away not after they spread it around to, you know, 100 other people. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So, Grace, a uh, question for you. Now, Amazon's running this diagnostics uh, program, and you're going to have a lot of interesting applications that are uh, spun up uh, to take advantage of the program that uh, you're rolling out. Now, obviously, one of the outcomes of these, uh, these programs is that you're going to get a lot of data about patients, about consumers, and so on. Do you have any plans to harness insights from this data in any way, let's say for public health in this case? No, that's that's really not the program's intent. AWS is vigilant about our customers' privacy and data security, and our technology and program policies are really designed with that security and privacy in mind. So for customers like Dr. Snyder and Stanford and others, all those customers retain ownership and control of any data and content that they store on AWS along with the ability to encrypt it, protect it, move it, or delete it in alignment with their security policies. Yeah, I think that's, and it's it's so great that you clarified it so succinctly, because that is a question that comes to a lot of people's minds. And so thank you for, for that clarification. 
This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Dr. Snyder, back to the application. One of the big things with a lot of these innovative apps that we've seen through our work is uh, how do you integrate them into the core patient medical record in the case of the United States, for instance, how do you integrate it with either Epic or Cerner and make it a part of the longitudinal patient record uh, for diagnostic and treatment uh, on an ongoing basis? Is that something that you you address it at the get-go or do you wait for the program to mature a little bit before you get it there? What are your plans? Can you share a little bit of that? Sure. Well, right now we're in the research phase, right? We're testing these algorithms, seeing how well it works, optimizing them. So right now everything's research and none of it goes in the record. Uh, You'd have to have a follow-up test for that to go in the record, and that does happen. So that's where we stand now. But in the future, these things will get basically better validated, and they'll have to get FDA approved and such, which is is not hard to do for simple devices like you know thermometers, things like that. And that'll be the case for smartwatches. I think they'll be able to get validated and you'll be able to pull information from them and aspects of that will be in the medical record. Now, my own view is the whole medical record needs to change. Right now, it's not terribly useful to most doctors. It's hard for them to access information from the record. I think the whole record system will change. I'd like to see the record become a living record, meaning it pulls in your data in real time, follows your health, and then can actually be displayed back to a physician in a very useful form in which they can see, you know, how is your cardiovascular health? How is your, you know, metabolic health? How is your other forms of health? And if you can pull that back in a, in a very useful fashion in real time, doctors could actually see what's going on much better. So I think we should, to be honest, transform the whole medical record system to make it in a useful fashion. And as an example of this, when they measure your heart rate in a doctor's office right now, it's all over the map. And it depends on whether you drove there, bike there, what stress is going on, all sorts of things. But you can actually pull a pretty accurate heart rate right off first thing in the morning from someone and get a much, much better picture of their health. And imagine incorporating that kind of information into a health record for a physician to be able to see in what's called a longitudinal fashion so they can really follow what's going on. And so that's how I'd like to see it change. I know I'm very futuristic in these sorts of things, but I think it will happen. And you also, because it is big data and all kinds of data, you can actually, you have to pull it together in a way that people can understand both the, ideally the person themselves would be able to understand it as well as their physician. Yeah. And uh, that topic, Dr. Snyder, may may well be the topic of a whole separate conversation and could be a much longer one as well. What about patient privacy? Even in the research phases, I guess you're putting some guardrails around what happens to the data, how you're protecting patients and so on. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. That That is a big concern. So we do, as, as Grace said, we encrypt everything. As it comes off, it gets encrypted. As we compute it, we compute on encrypted data. And then as these alerts go off, they get pushed back. So everything is stored. One thing that is important is that we do try and pull the data and share it in an anonymized fashion. And Amazon has been fantastic for helping. We're building, people use the term data lake, but I want to make it a data ocean where we actually have all these data for people to be able to access again in an anonymous fashion so that we can improve our algorithms and be able to detect disease even much, much better. I think the COVID-19 and following infectious disease, obviously it's super important. But I think this kind of platform is gonna be powerful well beyond the pandemic, meaning 
you can pull other kinds of information off your smartwatch. Believe it or not, you can tell people are low on their hemoglobin, which is a sign of anemia. So you can actually pull other kinds of health measurements off of a smartwatch, dehydration, things like that can all get measured. And this is all going to happen going forward. And it's going to get pulled again and follow your health. And we want to be able to take advantage of that. And so by having data that's accessible that researchers can use to improve this health monitoring system, I think we can really transform the way people health is actually followed. So again, we we switch into what I'd like to think is healthcare instead of sick care. Mm-hmm. So we can again follow people and better manage their health. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. You sound very optimistic about the potential for smartwatches in particular to be a vehicle or a medium for really managing an individual's health. Am I reading you correctly here? Yeah, I think that's correct. I mean, I think smartwatches, rings, patches are nice. They're more accurate, except they they cause inflammation if you wear them too long. So that's the power of these these other wearable devices. Someday they'll be implantables, I believe, rather than simply wearables. All right. Uh, well, I'm reminded of Gattaca. No, no I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but uh, going back to uh, Grace, uh, so AWS is offering millions in credits to developers worldwide as a part of this program. It's fantastic. I really think it's a great program. What has been the response so far? Can you share some broad uh, trends or uh, vignettes, if you will? What kind of research projects are we likely to see with maybe a focus on healthcare, which is what uh, this podcast is about? Sure. Well, in the first year of the Diagnostic Development Initiative, we supported around 87 organizations in 17 countries. And the organizations included customers that are, you know, startups, nonprofits, research organizations, and businesses. And we provided, you know, cloud computing credits and technical support to really work backwards from the needs of these researchers to understand how technology could help accelerate or scale their work. Uh, So when we think about what are some of the categories of the projects, maybe in addition to, you know, the work that Dr. Snyder's team has been doing around wearables in Stanford, We've also seen organizations focusing on looking at uncovering clues about how COVID-19 presents in individuals and what are some of the impacts on or what are some of the outcomes that they're seeing based on characteristics of their immune response. And that work's been done by the Institute for Systems Biology. We saw the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub team use machine learning to try to quantify the silent spread of COVID-19 for those with no Mm -hmm. symptoms. And also organizations look at using smartphone cameras to provide accurate and reliable diagnostics within about 30 minutes of doing a test. One of the things we're doing this year in 2020 is broadening the scope of the Diagnostic Development Initiative to cover not just diagnostics, but also three new areas. First, early disease detection to help identify outbreaks and trends at both the individual and the community level. Also, prognosis to better understand disease trajectory. And then last for public health genomics to bolster genome sequencing worldwide, which is becoming more important as different variants of COVID-19 emerge. Yeah, fantastic. I I think uh, it's going to be very exciting to follow the progress uh, of this program. Grace and uh, Dr. Snyder, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's been wonderful to have you here and share your thoughts on this initiative. We'll stay in touch. We'll follow your progress and all the very, very best. Sounds great. Yeah, thank you so much. And maybe just one last word. Our application program for DDI is open now for 2021. So 
anyone who's doing research in those different areas can just go to aws.amazon.com DDI and submit an application for some of that support. Thank you. I, thank you for, for that. And again, I want to echo that and give a shout out to the program. It's uh, free credits. So if there are developers out there with uh, an interesting idea, I guess they should reach out and contact you, Grace. Thank you again, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox.